Father, I want to thank you. Thank you once again that we can gather in your presence to worship you. And most important, Father, we can ponder upon your word. I pray that today you open our hearts, Father. I believe you have the word for every one of us specifically to lift our spirit, to lift our eyes to you, to remind us, to refresh our, to renew our mind. Therefore, Father, I pray for alertness physically, emotionally, spiritually, ready to receive your word for all of us here. Pray for also Vincent that God, your anointing will fall upon him. Fill him in the spirit. Fill him your strength, Father, that you will share with your convictions and your power. And let your word that will flow from him, Father, that will really touch our hearts and then we will make a response to it. Father, I thank you. I commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Jimmy. And uh, good morning. Yesterday I was thinking through my sermon in the living room. Uh, my wife walked past and she asked me, what is your sermon topic? Ah? And I said, uh, the presence of an absence. And she said, oh. And then she walked away. Then I had dinner with my mom in the evening and she asked the same question, why are you preaching on tomorrow? Ah? And I said, uh, the presence of an absence. And she also looked at me. Ah, uh, Today's topic could be a play of words, uh, but I think it's useful to demystify the topic uh, because it's not a philosophy class. Uh, what I really want is to give you the word of the Lord that can help you in uh, your Christian walk, not impress you with some intellectual title. And this title, by the way, didn't come from me. Now, the presence of an absence is maybe better understood if we reverse the words a bit, and say the absence of a presence. The absence of God's presence in our lives. <clears throat> you know, I had a colleague who told me when her dad passed away, uh, her mom continued to, lay, to leave an empty chair at a dining table uh, for him with a bowl, with utensils, uh, at a dining table at each meal in memory of the deceased uh, father. This is remembering the presence of an absent one. And today we want to talk about the presence of God's absence or the absence of God's presence in our lives. And while I use that illustration of my colleague's uh, deceased father, I need to remind you that God is not deceased. And however, He is sometimes absent from our lives at different seasons. And those are the seasons we struggle with. And where there is an absence of God's presence, that's when we usually start to stray. When God's presence is not alive in us, that's when we stray. We then have the reputation of being, what the Bible says, being alive, but are actually dead. Being neither hot nor cold. Having a form of godliness, but no power. So that, that form over substance thing. You know, recently in my time with the Lord, I've been reading the book of Jeremiah. And I found Jeremiah to be a very instructive book. On, it teaches us vital license on straying. It doesn't teach you how to stray, but it, it warns you, it gives you many warnings on how to keep yourself uh, faithful 
to the Lord. And indeed, as I read the first few chapters, I started asking myself, why did Israel stray? I don't know whether you've ever asked yourself the question when you read Isaiah, when you read Jeremiah, why, why did Israel stray? Why, did, why was there a jadedness uh, with God? And according to the, the study that you're going to do, it refers to it as a stagnant spirit. Okay? Your spirit is no more alive. It's kind of stagnant. You know stagnant water? It's kind of stagnant. A jadedness with the things of God. And you know what? I'm not the only one asking the question. Actually, God asked some pretty valid questions. Um, God asked these two questions in Jeremiah. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yeah, they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. And then God asks, What unrighteousness did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and habitually went after emptiness, falseness, futility? So God was kind of also asking the question, Why why did you all stray? Why, Israel, did you stray? What did I do wrong? Why do you exchange your God for another? And I think the clue is in the next verse. You see, God asked some pretty valid questions. But I think God's lament was, the people didn't learn to ask this question. And the right question they should have asked is, they did not ask. The Bible says they did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt? And even a priest the spiritual leaders did not ask, did not say, where is the Lord? So when the, the, the stagnation came in, when the jadedness came in, actually God was saying, you guys should have asked, where is the Lord? Where is the Lord? But unfortunately, they did not do that. A valid question that was not asked. Where is the Lord? And maybe it, it's, it's a valid question to also ask ourselves today. Where is the Lord? Where is the Lord who promises to be so powerful? Where is the Lord who says He loves you? Where is the Lord who says He will direct you? Where is the Lord in your life? Because how you answer that question can be an indicator of whether your faith in the Lord and your walk in the Lord is stagnant. And you know, I I, I was just thinking through some of the significant relationships in my life. I don't have a lot, uh, unfortunately, but the significant, not, not, the, not the acquaintances, not the hee-hee-ha-ha kind of relationship, that one I have a lot, right? But the significant relationships, the important relationships in my life, and when I look back, and when I trace those that went stagnant, those that didn't happen as well as I thought they should, and when I kind of probe in and kind of try to discover what were the conditions that led to the deterioration of these relationships, I found that Scripture seems to also say the same about the same conditions that caused the Israelites to stray from the Lord. And these are the two conditions, I think. Um, I think we have grown indifferent because we think God is also indifferent. We have grown indifferent, we have grown jaded because God seems indifferent. You see what they say there? He will do nothing. God does nothing. I don't see the activity of God in my life. God does nothing. The second one in Zephaniah 1.12, the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. So there is, there is a presumption of indifference of the Lord 
and therefore we have also turned indifferent. And that, that's very, uh, a very logical flow. If my friend is indifferent toward me, it's a matter of time before the relationship stagnates, before I, because I also don't want to waste any time. right? And I will also be indifferent toward them. So that could be one condition. Um, the Lord does nothing. The Lord is indifferent. The Lord is absent. The second condition could be something a bit more um, sad. We have grown disappointed with God because uh, we have said it is futile to serve God. You see, we, we look at other people who don't serve God, like in Malachi 3. What do we gain? What do we gain by carrying out His requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? Certainly, evildoers prosper. People who don't follow God seem to do better and seem to have a better deal. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. So what's in it for me? Following God is futile. And then Psalm 73, you probably are very fav- uh, uh, familiar with it, but I just want to read an excerpt of it, of it. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. They say, how will God know? Does the Most High know anything? In vain, I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. So we could be indifferent. We could have a, stagnate, a stagnant relationship with the Lord because we have grown indifferent because we think God is indifferent. Or we could have a stagnant relationship with the Lord because we have been hurt. We have found that it's not worth it. It's not a fair exchange. We sang divine exchange. We found that hey, the exchange is not too good because I, other people seem to have a better deal. Right? the arrogant, the evildoers, a jadedness with God. Either because we think He doesn't care or because He has disappointed us with us. I don't know how many of us are jaded with God. I don't know whether it's a good idea to make you raise your hands. I don't think so. Um, but the above two reasons could be, could be pretty uh, serious reasons why we are jaded with God. But more importantly, that's the root cause, right? That's the root cause. Uh, what results from a jadedness with God? The root, what kind of fruit will it bear? What will cause, if we carry on being jaded with God, what results? I think the first is a powerless religion. Right? The powerless re- You see, in Jeremiah 7, when Jeremiah came to the people and said, hey, God is not absent, you know. Don't mistake God's grace huh, as God's indifference. Meaning because the people are kind of saying like, eh, I worship idols, I commit adultery, I am uh, not fair, and nothing seems to happen, right? So I think God is indifferent. And Jeremiah is kind of saying, God has a very big threshold for tolerance because of His love. But don't think God is not doing anything. And you know what the people say? The people say, don't worry, nothing will happen. You know why? Because the temple of the Lord is here. Okay, that was their confidence. You see, when you are jaded with the Lord, you will start putting uh, uh, confidence in the external. You see, um, if, if you have been a Christian for 25 years, and I don't think you, you, you all are pretty young, but maybe some of us have been Christians for 25 years. And when you think of um, uh, not going to church, uh, it's very troublesome, right? Because people will call you up, your care group leader will call you up, and they'll ask you, hey, why, why are you not going to church? And actually, it doesn't take a lot to come to church, right? I mean, you just sit here for, for a while, right? 
And uh, maybe the only frustrating thing is the, is, is the parking. Um, but other than that, church is very comfortable, right? I mean, you can just go through this. So, so, so a jaded person may actually weigh and say, hey, let's just carry on with this uh, because, because the, the cost, the cost of having to explain why you, you don't want to walk this way anymore is, is more cumbersome than just coming here every Sunday. And I think that's where, where the Israelites have gone. I mean, the temple of the Lord is here. The temple of the Lord, that, that's what they just, just babble with their mouths. It has become a powerless religion. And because the temple of the Lord has been here such a long time, let's just carry on with it. And let's just talk among ourselves and assume that it's okay. And then God says further, Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, perjury, burn incense to idols, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we are safe? Right? So that's what a, what a, what a, what a stagnant relationship with the Lord will, will do. I mean, the, the outside life uh, and coming to the Lord is not incongruent at all. It's perfectly fine. They'll just continue to stroll into the temple of the Lord and say, as long as it's the temple of the Lord, I'm safe. Okay? The, the outside life has no uh, impact. There is an external formality with no internal transformation. Okay? So that is what a jaded walk with God, a jadedness with God. This is what we call a powerless religion. And uh, Jesus strikes quite a, quite a serious warning that even the religious leaders are not exempt. Because in Jesus' days, uh, actually the religious leaders uh, do everything for show only. Right? It says, uh, be careful not to practice the righteousness in front of others. Why? Because the hypocrites do it. And the hypocrites he was referring to were the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And why? Because when they fast, when they pray, when they give, they want people to see. It has become an external form of religion. Because they have become... God has become so absent that the only benefit of the religion is the praise of man. You get what I mean? And, and, and maybe not the praise of man, but at least uh, the lack of reprimand from man. So if you don't come to church, people will reprimand you. But you come to church, people won't reprimand you. So there's a reward. There's a reward that makes people come to church or continue to do good because at least nobody will scold me. Right? And that's, that's what it will degenerate to when we, are, when we don't have that, when we have that jadedness with God. It will become a powerless religion. Slowly becoming an outward form of religiosity. I want you to note that throughout all this, the Israelites never renounce with their lips that God is no more their God. Huh? Okay? Be very clear about that. Okay? The Israelites never renounce with their own lips that God They never renounced and went to another way. No. But it was in their lives that they show they have denounced God. And that was what grief got. And you and I, are, are, we, we can also assume the Israelites, we're clever people. When it's powerless religion, you will look for security elsewhere, right? You will look for power elsewhere. Because, I mean, going through the motion is fine, but you still need some form of security, right? So the Israelites are not stupid. Although they have found that God is kind of powerless and, and indifferent and all that, but they still needed security, right? So where did they look for security? Um, that's why God asked them, why do you go to Egypt to drink water from the Nile? Why do you go to Assyria to drink water from the Euphrates? Right? These were big rivers uh, in Egypt and Assyria. And Assyria represented the world system. Say, why, why do you go to these places? And God accuses them, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, which is a fountain of living water, and they prefer to dig their own um, little cistern uh, to gain water. Why? Because they have lost confidence in the Lord. I don't, I don't think... Now, a fountain of living water is a spring. 
okay? A spring. In, in those days, it's very refreshing, it's natural, it's from the mountains, it's cool, it's wonderful. Now, if you have a fountain of living water, you love it, okay? It's only when you don't have, then they, what they'll do is they'll dig a hole in the ground and then they'll kind of plaster it, okay? And what it does is you've got to wait for the rain to come. And when the rain comes, uh, it can carry all kinds of funny things. What you have is stagnant, brackish water. Sometimes it's a bit salty. Okay, and that, that's, that's what cisterns do. So it's quite clear, it's quite logical that if you have a fountain of living water, you won't go and do cisterns. Right? It's only when you don't have a fountain of living water or don't have a fountain of water, then you will do cisterns. So I don't think, I don't think it's because the Israelites don't want a fountain of living water. I don't think it's that. I think it's because they don't believe God is a fountain of living water anymore. They actually maybe have found God to be quite stale. So that's why they say, although we can carry on with this religion thing, in real life, because we need real security, we better look for some real security elsewhere. And that's why they went to Egypt and to Assyria. They found that God does not fulfill their requirement for fullness. They still need to drink, right? But because God does not fulfill that desire, they need to find it elsewhere. So a mindset, it starts with a mindset that God is indifferent toward how we live or how we are. And it starts with a mindset that God has disappointed us. Maybe either because He has not blessed us in the manner or the timing that we expected Him to do, it will lead to an absence of God's presence in our lives. Why? Because it will cause us to forsake Him because we don't trust Him as a fountain of living water anymore and it will cause us to scramble for the next fountain, right? Because we still need to drink. You know, how, how, do, we, how do we overcome? How do we overcome this jadedness with the Lord? And I, I want to say that I, I, do, I, I think for different ones of us, there are different seasons in our lives when we get jaded with God because there are different seasons in life when we sense that hey, maybe God is indifferent. God doesn't seem to be around. Or there are different seasons in our lives when God has disappointed you. He has not blessed you in the manner or at the timing that you expected. So when these seasons come, what do we do? How do we turn back to the fountain of living water? The first thing I think we need to do is to break that mindset that God is indifferent, that it is futile to follow God's ways. We need to break the mindset that God is indifferent and we need to break the mindset that it is futile to follow God's ways. And the truth we need to imbibe, the truth we need to, to, to bring in is this. There is no fullness other than Jesus. Okay, in the, in the first service, I made them say, say it three times, so I'll make you say it as well. Can we say, there is no fullness other than Jesus. Can you say it? There's no fullness other than Jesus. Okay, can we say it again? There's no fullness other than Jesus. Okay, let's do it one, more, one last time, Ken. There's no fullness other than Jesus. That, that, that has to be the truth that sinks in. You, you know, um, yesterday when I was uh, preparing the sermon, my, my daughter, uh, she loves to read. So she took up this book, uh, Man in the Mirror. Uh, actually, it's a guy book, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a book for guys, for men. And I don't know why she was reading that. Uh, and then I took it from her. And I was just flipping it through uh, because it's quite a good book. And in there, they asked the question, do you know who has ever won the rat race? Do you know who has ever won the rat race? You don't know what a rat race is, right? Okay. Actually, 
nobody really knows who has won the rat race. The, 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 the answer is probably nobody has ever won the rat race because if you know where the origin of the word rat race came from, it's, it's that hamster thing with the, with the circle, right? Now, you can never win a race without a finishing line. Okay, and, and you know, if you have hamsters, you probably don't need to have a hamster to know this. Uh, the wheel, as not, you just keep running. It has no finishing line. You just run, I suppose, until the day the hamster drops, lah, right? Until he either dies from exhaustion or, or something. But that, that, no one has ever won the red race. But, but you know what? For many of us, our Egypt, our Assyria, our Nile, our Euphrates River, is the rat race. The true security that many of us find or will find is, hey, the rat race uh, seems to promise security. Our broken systems is that rat race. You know, because we have abandoned looking for the fullness that comes from Jesus, the rat race seems to be the solution. And I want to I give you some verses to kind of overwhelm you with truth uh, because really we are bombarded with the values of the world five days, some of us six days a week. And I really want to neutralize that uh, with, this, with these very wise verses. Okay? Everyone's toil, this is from Ecclesiastes. This is the fullness that maybe some of us think is there. Everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. I don't know whether you find that true or not. I have, I have been in the red race probably longer than most of you, uh, but not all of you. Okay, I've been in a rat race for, for a while. Uh, and it is true. It is true that appetite is never satisfied. I think I shared before with you that there was a time when I said, if I have X dollars of income, I will be very happy already. And then I'll just cruise. Uh, to tell you the truth, the X dollar is a moving target. Right? Every time it becomes X dollars, it becomes X plus Y. Right? X plus Y plus Y. And, and exactly what the Bible says. It is, the, the appetite is, can, it is insatiable. Right? It cannot be satisfied. That is a rare race. Every toil, everyone's toil is for their mouth and they find that it's a bottomless pit. And the second one is also just as good. I saw that all toil and all achievements spring from what? One person's envy of another. This too is meaningless. And indeed, I found that even in my life, that is true. So many of the things that I sometimes want to accumulate, I don't really need. But why do I need it? I need it for sure. I need that title. I need that residential address. I need that kind of car. I don't have all of them anyway, but I'm just, I'm just using some examples. Huh? Uh, because, not because I really need, I need it, but because it springs out of envy of one another. Of course, economic theory will tell you in a different way and say it's wonderful uh, that uh, competition causes uh, quality of service to go up and the consumers benefit and all that kind of thing. But, this, but, but you, you can see through that. Really, uh, competition drives us uh, just as our appetites drive us. And then 13, verse 13 is much more sobering. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. Uh, at my age, I have already seen uh, a friend succumb to stress-related uh, illness and passed away. And uh, really, it is due to a lifestyle of just wanting to, to be ahead, uh, to hoard wealth. And, um, and this, this is so true. 
And as if this is not enough, I want to show you some more. Uh, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. True or not? It's true. Lah. Okay? You don't have to tell me. I can tell you. It's true. Okay? As goods increase, so do those who consume them. What benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? Remember? For sure. So much of our consumption, so much of the material we run for. Uh, is, we're, we're not stupid people, guys. We're not stupid people. I assure you, you're not stupid. Okay? The reason we're running after these things is because uh, we, need to, we need water to drink. And because we have abandoned the fountain of living water, we still need to drink. Right? And so we look around at the ways of the world and we see Egypt next door and Assyria next door. And so we follow their practices because their practices appear to be right. I'm so proud of this graph. I spent the whole day drawing it. Uh, and this is from the book as well. Uh, first service, I think they have some comments. Uh. I think somebody wants to scold me for this graph. But uh, I'll modify it a bit. Okay? Uh, the blue line, the blue line is uh, material wealth. Okay? The red line is moral, spiritual, recreational quality. Lah. Okay, I forgot the right quality there. So, Broadly speaking, this was written by the, 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 the same author that I was reading. And he said in the, 19, the, 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 the x-axis is 1950s, 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And he drew this and he showed it to an old man on a plane. And the old man on a plane said, Wow, in my 80 years of life, I've never got a chart that describes my life better than this chart. <laughs> Which is quite awesome. No? Right? And really, I, okay, the reason the first service is quite upset at me is because not the whole service service, uh, one person, uh, is because they think that you should not boo-boo material wealth. I'm not. I'm not boo-booing material wealth. Okay? I'm not saying material is bad. I'm just saying the pursuit of it. Okay? The pursuit of it if, it, if it, over, if it overtakes, if material wealth becomes your Egypt and Assyria and becomes your broken system, then this is, I, I, I believe this is what will happen. Okay? Because as, as you chase, as you chase and it goes up, your moral, spiritual, and recreational, your time for family and all that, it has to give what? Right? It has to give. Now, I work in banking. I know. Right? If you want to be top, top dog, and if you want to be really an investment banker, I really like when, when Bill Fu shared with some of you that when he really liked to be, uh, when he really tried to be an investment banker and all that, he, what did he have? Do you all remember? He had stomach bleeding. Right? So, really, it, is, it, is, it, is, uh, it, it, it can be as physical as that. Right? Some people who strive. And more subtly for other people, uh, the health is okay, but uh, relationships suffer. Um, the, the spiritual man suffers. Uh, even the recreational man suffers. And, uh, and, and indeed, in my workplace, uh, sometimes even the morality suffers. Right? Because to get ahead, sometimes you are encouraged to do all kinds of um, uh, uh, interesting things, which may, which may lead to moral decay. So, really, this is not saying uh, if a person is up there, uh, his family is in the doldrums. Uh, that's not the intent. I, I'm not trying to say that like, in case you write me some nasty email again. Okay? All I'm saying is the pursuit of it. Okay? Uh, it basically talks about the few verses we've seen uh, before that. Now, all these verses we've looked at, da-da-da-da-da-da, cannot be satisfied. I want you to contrast with this. Paul, the one who has found the fountain of living water. What does he say? For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in, plant, uh, in need. That means at the bottom of the curve. 
I know what it is to have plenty at the top of the curve. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed at the top of the curve or hungry at the bottom of the curve, whether living in plenty, top of the curve, or in want, bottom of the curve. Why? Because I found the fountain of living water, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. The choice is yours. You want the Ecclesiastes kind of lifestyle or you want the poor kind of lifestyle? And that's the choice that I want to present before you and I today. And I believe that's the choice that God is presenting before you and I today. You know, Steve Jobs' uh, demise, Steve Jobs, uh, probably everybody knows him. His demise reminds us that regardless of ingenuity, regardless of brilliance, regardless of excellence, death levels us all. That's why Moses instructs us in Psalm 90, Teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Do you know that in the same psalm, he says, for a thousand years are like but a day to the Lord. And how long can man live? In Moses' days, he said 70, maybe max 80. Nowadays, with all your, don't know, ginkgo nuts and all that kind of thing, maybe some people can go to uh, 90, I don't know. But you do your math, right? I know Sunday you don't like to think. But do your math. If a thousand years equals a day to the Lord, 70 years of a man's life, I'll be quite happy with 70 years actually, but 70 years of a man's life is one hour, 40 minutes. Okay? If you do a thousand years, is a day, then 70 years, uh, you, know your, your, you know your division, right? Uh, is one hour, 40 minutes. Can you imagine that when first service starts to the Lord, uh, it is like a man's life uh, is like the length of the first service. It starts at 9 a.m., it ends by 10.40. For Steve Jobs, unfortunately, it was only one hour, 20 minutes. That's it. That's it. Can you imagine? No wonder Moses said, teach us to number our days, to count it, and to make it count. No wonder Ecclesiastes says, better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Brothers and sisters, it's time to get off that treadmill that goes nowhere. And it's time to start walking with God. Now I want you to be clear. God is not against your work. God is not against your labor. No, in fact, in Psalms 90, at the end it says, May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us, establish the work of our hands. He's got nothing against your labor. It doesn't mean that all of us uh, got, to, got to quit and, and do all kinds of stuff. No, we need you guys for the lights and all that. Huh? But realize the real, your real call at your workplace. You see, in Colossians 3, it says this, Since uh, you have been raised with Christ, it says, Set your mind on things above. Does it say missionary there? Does it say full-time worker there? No, it doesn't say anything like that. That It only talks about values, bringing God's values. And it says, since you have been raised with God at birth, get rid of the earthly values. Don't bring earthly values to your place of work. Don't bring earthly values to church. Don't bring earthly values to your family. Don't bring sexual immorality. Don't allow impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, 
anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, to invade your workplace and you are the person because you have been raised, God is calling you to bring compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience to your workplace. So I, I want you to see that, that God is not against your labor. God is after your values. What kind of values, salt and light, do you bring to where you go? That's more important. That's more important in terms of how we conduct our life. God, I don't think, is very uh, concerned about your occupation unless it's really shady, right? But God is more concerned about what do you bring to that occupation? Do you bring sexual immorality, coarse joking, impurity, lust, greed, anger? Does your, does your presence promote these things where you go, in your families, amongst your friends, in your workplace? Or does your presence bring compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? Nothing to do with your occupation. Not that God is not interested in your occupation. I believe He is. But more importantly, is the values that you bring to your occupation. You know, we need to know that we are able to drink from the fountain of living water and bring this fullness to where we go. Bill Bright, uh, Bill Bright is, uh, is an awesome guy. He's the one who founded Campus Crusade for Christ. And do you know what's his mission statement? His mission statement is, I, I prioritize everything in the light of the Great Commission. That means what is important or not important, it's all put against the, 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 the searchlight of the Great Commission. So is it important to the Great Commission? If it is, then it's important to me. Is it impo- not important in the Great Commission? Then it's not important to me. So there was this guy, this, this author of this book, who said uh, he, he's a Campus Crusade staff. So they had this banquet for Bill Bright. And this was a fundraising banquet. And you know that this US, right? They have these fundraising banquets where people book a table. I think Singapore, you also have uh, $10,000 and all that. So obviously, Bill Bright being Bill Bright, and these, these, this being a fundraising uh, 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 banquet, uh, those who gave money were queuing up to see the man, right? to see Bill Bright asking about his mission or his ministry and all that because they were, they were giving bucks, right? They were giving big money. And this, this author actually brought a broken man, right? He said, he brought him along because this, this man was two weeks away from a divorce. Um, he used to walk with the Lord, uh, but he didn't anymore because he was disappointed with God. And um, actually, this author quite audaciously was hoping that maybe he can bring... Bill Bright to see him or bring him to see Bill Bright. But he thought, no way lah. I mean, there's a fundraising thing that tens of tables, all these people who give money want to see Bill Bright. But Bill Bright was told of this man who was broken and walking away from the Lord. And right after his speech, thanking everyone for the thing, although people were wanting to queue up to see him, he said, no, 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 sorry, 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 sorry. He went right to this author's table and sat down with his friend Tom and talked for the next one and a half hours with Tom, encouraging him to come back to the Lord until everybody actually left the banquet hall already, uh, left with Bill, Tom, and this author. And I thought, wow, that is really prioritizing every time, everything in the light of the Great Commission. What matters to God matters to Him doesn't matter that you're important in the eyes of the world, that you give a lot of money, but to him, his decision-making was very quite clear. 
Talking to Tom is important in the Great Commission, and he reached out to him. And that was the story of Bill Bright. I prioritize everything in the light of the Great Commission. There is fullness in Jesus, and we can bring that fullness to our workplaces. But how do I find fullness in Jesus, right? We're not, we, 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 we have agreed. We have chanted three times that there's no fullness other than Jesus, right? But how do we find fullness in Jesus? I think we should start by asking the question that God was hoping the people would ask. Where is the Lord? Where is the Lord who delivered people with a mighty hand? Where is the Lord who says He loves me? Where is the Lord? Going out on a search for Him. And I, I believe it starts from, by being familiar with the hope we have in Jesus. You know, two, two, three weeks ago, I read this when I was having breakfast with Jesus, my quiet time, and, and it was so amazing that I SMS my whole CG and some of the people I mentor. And this is from Ephesians 2, 4 to 7. And I just want to read to you uh, with, with some of my emphasis there. And it says, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, what did He do? He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Okay, you know that. It is by grace you have been saved. But it doesn't stop there. What does it say? It doesn't stop there. God raised us up with Christ. It doesn't stop there. And seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It still doesn't stop there. In order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace how expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Wow. Awesome. If you memorize this, and I encourage you to memorize this because I've memorized it, it changes your life. This is your hope in Jesus. This will cause your spirit man to be able to say, you know what? God nah, is really, really for me. God is really, really for me. Ephesians 2, 4-7. And as this truth and this hope grips us, we will dare to walk out in faith and in love. You see, we cannot walk out in faith and we cannot walk out in love because the Bible tells us in Colossians, faith and love spring from hope. Now, if you haven't got your hope right, you're not going to be able to walk out in faith. We're not going to be able to walk out in love. So this is the hope. This is an awesome hope. You know, guys, I want to tell you, God never meant you to last only one hour, 40 minutes in His eyes. It's true. His will is that none should perish, but all come to eternal life. He never meant any of us to last one hour, 40 minutes, plus minus. And for those of us who are disappointed with God, I, want, I just want to share this with you, because you, you could be jaded with God because you're disappointed with God. I recently read, that do you know that God's blessing does not always accompany His calling? What do I mean? When, when David was anointed as king, he was a young boy. Do you know when David became king? 22 years later. The calling, the blessing. You want another one? You probably know. Joseph. When he saw his brothers bowing toward him in the dream, he was a young boy. When did he become number two in Egypt? Decades later. God's blessing does not always coincide with His calling. God's ways, unfortunately, sometimes are higher than our ways. We cannot 
believe God for the same methods. Let me give you another example. Kofi recently sent us a, a, a good, uh, the preacher, some, some, some message tips. And do you know that in the Bible, uh, at least three men saw rainbow? Rainbow. Do you know who they are? You probably know one. Okay? No one definitely saw a rainbow, right? He's, he was probably, the, the, the event was probably the reason for the rainbow. But do you know that rainbow, uh, Moses saw rainbow after the storm? Do you know that Ezekiel saw a rainbow during the storm? And do you know that John the Apostle saw a rainbow before the storm? Okay, you can go and check your Bibles. Huh? Okay? And what, what am I trying to say? God's methods are different. Sometimes we go into a storm first, then we see God's faithfulness. Sometimes we see God's faithfulness first, signified by the rainbow, then we go into a storm. Sometimes in the midst of a storm, we see God's faithfulness. You get what I mean? The three men saw rainbows. Are different. We cannot box God up and say, because your methods are like this in the past, it should be like this. No, God's methods are, are it cannot be like that. God's ways are higher than our ways. It's just like when the Israelites were brought out. When the Israelites were brought out and they were happy because the firstborn in Egypt were all killed and all that. Now, what, how would you have choreographed this? Why did they walk out and go in the desert toward the Red Sea and then be caught between the Red Sea and, um, and, and the Egyptian army? Why? I don't understand that one. I don't understand that one. Because God, you don't deliver people, deliver them all the way, ma, right? If you let them out, just, 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 just send some fighter jets to just bring them all the way to the promised land. Ah. Why, must you, why must you do this half, half thing, half thing, then, oh, go out very happy already, then, oh, the Egyptians are coming to kill us. Oh, no, and there's a sea in front of us. God's methods, very hard to understand. On hindsight, we can all understand. But while we're in it, very hard to understand. So you can never bank on God's methods being the same. But what can you bank on? What I preached before, right? One thing God has spoken twice have I heard. That you, O oh God, are strong and that you, O oh God, are loving. You can bank on God's character. Don't bank on His methods. Don't bank on things like, because you blessed this person when he did this, so also you should bless me when I do this. And because you bless him at this time in his life, you should also bless me at this time in my life. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. I've been through a bit of life to know it doesn't work like that. Okay? But you can trust God for His character. So for those of us who are disappointed with God, carry on, press on. Remember David. Remember Joseph. God's call is sure. God's character is certain. And God is for you. Although the clouds may be dark. You know, I try to be home in time for dinner uh, every day, um, which is pretty early. Uh, and at, most of the time I can't make it, but at least way before my kids uh, go to sleep. But you know, um, I work in a bank. And you know how difficult it is sometimes to come in and the two boys run to me and they'll, wow, and they, and they'll talk nonstop, right? They just talk nonstop and I'll, I'll be changing and, I'll, and then they'll be just yakking and yakking. And uh, it's very difficult to switch mode. Uh, let me tell you what I mean. Just that day I came in and then uh, they run up to me and say, Dad, uh, I, I need to read this. Dad, if you want to have a fun time, who will you go out with? The mushroom, the carrot, or the potato? And then I just say, well, mushroom. And he'll say, why, 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 why mushroom? And I'll say, uh, I don't know. 
and he say, because the mushroom is a fun guy, right? Uh, it's a fun guy. And, 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 and can you imagine you just came back from a full day of climb eating serious stuff in a suit and all that, and then you come in and then there's this fun guy thing. This, uh, and it's very, it's, very, it's very jarring, right? It's very jarring. And I realized in the past, I sometimes say, I don't talk so much nonsense. Uh, 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 what do you study here? That kind of thing. And I found that it's actually quite unfair. La. It's quite unfair to do this to them because they're kids. They're supposed to be talking about these things. And um, you know what I tried recently? I've just started trying it and I find that it's much better. Uh, what I do now is, of course, coming in, that one I can't stop. But I'm changing. They'll still continue yucking and yucking. And then I'll, I'll just be quiet. But after dinner, I'll sit down with the two of them. Okay, the small one, I'll, I'll try to put it on my lap. Uh, the big one, I'll just say, okay, come, come, come. And then they'll start yakking, right? They'll start telling me all this, all this mushroom thing. Um, and as I sit there and let time pass, uh, do you know uh, that I can tolerate it better and better? That means, that means I don't degenerate, lah, okay? You won't degenerate, don't worry. But you are able to switch more into their mode uh, when you... When, when, when I did that, la, when I just sit on the sofa, relax and say, okay, la, let it rip, right? Just give it to me. And uh, they'll just download. Um, and I found those quite, quite good times with my kids. Why am I saying this to you? I don't think I'm a genius to have discovered this. Uh, um, but I'm telling you this because if we want to find the fullness of Jesus, we also need to prepare our hearts. Right? Because we come from a world that's very jarring in, in, in the demands and in the voices that shout at us. It's very jarring. It is, it is very different. And um, as the verse there says, a generation that set not their hearts aright, nor prepared their hearts to know God. To know God, we need to prepare our hearts. Just like I needed to, to interact with my children in a meaningful way, I needed to prepare myself. I cannot just barge in and do that. And the second verse then says, For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and to Jerusalem, Break up your ground left uncultivated for season, so that you may not sow among thorns. What is it saying? It's saying, Break up the soil of your heart, so that you don't end up in futility again, don't go and sow thorns. But what it's saying is, Prepare your heart. Now. Prepare your heart to receive the fullness of Jesus. And you can't run away from, from this illustration that was given at the men's breakthrough. I, I thought it was very good. Do you know that um, each hour you have how many 10-minute slots? Six, right? Okay, six. Each hour you've got, uh, you got six 10-minute slots. 24 hours, how many, how many slots do you have? You have 144. Let's call each 10-minute slot. This was the, the, the speaker at the men's weekend. Re- really, very good. Um, 10 minutes. Each 10-minute slot, let's call it marbles. One marble. Okay, one marble. Um, so how many marbles do you have in a day? 144 marbles. And he was asking us, can you give two marbles to the Lord? Can you give two marbles to the Lord? Because th- that really contextualizes it. Okay? 20 minutes with the Lord. Just sitting down like I do with my kids and just say, Lord, okay, now you download. Now you talk to me. Prepare my spirit. Talk to me your way and I'll just absorb it. Two marbles out of 144. All of us have the same number of marbles. Teach us, Lord, to number our days aright. I'll just ask the musicians to come up and um, just lead us in that song, Divine Exchange.
And why don't we rise? And as we sing that song, if, if the words of that song minister to you, I want you to come forward. If there, there, has, been a, if there has been a disappointment, there has been a jadedness with God, there's been a indifference towards God. And today, you say, Lord, I want to get off that treadmill that's leading me to nowhere. I want to find fullness in Jesus again. I want a divine exchange. Then you come forward. I want to pray with you because, yeah, the Bible says, where two or three agree on earth, it shall be agreed in heaven. And I want to agree with you together that God will do that divine exchange. Okay? Just asking for the fullness of the Lord in us again.